Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What is up, everybody? How you doing? Joe McCall here from the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. You're in for a treat today, as always. But we've got a special interview with some investors that are doing deals in a difficult competitive market in a difficult time right now during the COVID-19 crisis. And I'm especially excited about interviewing them because they're doing deals virtually. They've done deals in the U.S. while traveling around Italy for almost a full month which is going to be really cool. You're going to love their story. You're going to love talking to them and hearing their story and kind of how they got started in the business and what they're doing today. Let me just tell you this, they're not slowing down. Every successful investor I know that's doing deals right now, they're not slowing down. They're doubling down. They're doing more marketing. They're making more offers. When everyone else is running to the hills and getting scared and freaking out, the real serious investors out there, they're not slowing down one iota this is actually now a really, really good time to be in the business to market and do deals. This is a really good time. So first, couple of announcements. Number one, this podcast is brought to you by my book. Go get it. It's free, wlobook.com. It's called Wholesaling Lease Options. Discover the easiest and fastest ways to do deals in real estate today. This is the same exact strategy I used to start flipping lease options in 2009, and I quit my job because I was making more money doing these deals part-time than I was in my full-time job. And this book lays out this A to Z strategy, all the nuts and bolts. It's all killer, no filler, as I like to say. It's a really good book. You can get it for free. Just go to wlobook.com and check it out. The second thing is a lot of you guys are watching this live now on Facebook and YouTube. As we start going through this, please say hi. Type something in the comments, either on Facebook or YouTube. Tell us hello. And if you have questions for our guests today, type them in the comments and I will bring them up and ask them. And so I'm glad a lot of you guys are here. The third thing I want to say is please subscribe to the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, all of them. We are there. So please subscribe to the show. You don't want to miss an episode. I release three episodes a week. And what's something really cool, as I'm recording this over the next one or two weeks, I'm going to be releasing a brand new four-part video series that's going to blow you away. I'm really giving out a ton of content, a ton of really valuable free stuff that you can get. So stay tuned for that when it's coming out. There'll be audio and video podcasts. Plus I'm giving away a bunch of mind maps and a bunch of just crazy stuff. It's insane. Why I do this, I don't know. I just love you guys. All right, so should we jump in? Let's bring on Marlena and Josh Dates from Central Florida near the Orlando area. How are you guys? Doing, doing great. Hi, Virtual World. Yeah, thanks for having us. Glad you guys are here. You look really cute, like a cute couple sitting there. <laughs> That's awesome. I've been trying to get you guys on for a little while. You've been busy. I've been busy, but you guys are finally here. And you lead a really cool group in Orlando called REI Live. I love mm -hmm. the t-shirts. That's awesome. How long have you been guys doing that? Uh, we just started a few months ago, but we've had a lot of people locally for a long time wanting us to do something. We used to be leaders in our local RIA. That's a nonprofit. So we just decided to kind of start doing our own thing recently. Good for you. Good for you. All right. So let's, let's read. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm getting a bunch of comments here. All right, Pam, what's up, Pam and Carl. Isn't this nice? You can get the comments Hi, down here yeah. below from Facebook and YouTube. We got Ralph and Ralph says, I've subscribed to all your stuff. Cool. Good. And then Karima. Hello. How are you guys? All right. Just wanted to say the hellos out and get that out of the way. But uh, those of you watching on Facebook Live or YouTube Live right now, please comment below. And if you got a good question, I will bring it up and ask Marlena and Josh. Maybe some of you guys are in Florida right now and you're like wondering, there's actually somebody in Florida who's doing deals? Like, oh my gosh, how can I talk to these guys? Well, we're going to be giving you all that information on how to get a hold of Marlena and Josh, but you know, you can just go check out REI Live Orlando, Google that and you'll find their group. Okay, cool. Uh, how'd you guys get started in real estate? Why don't we talk about that? You sure. want to start off? Yeah. Uh, well, we used to be teachers. I was a high school and a college teacher and Josh was an elementary school teacher. Wow. God bless you guys. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, we just had one daughter and I really didn't want her to have to be in a public school. I wanted to homeschool. That was kind of always my dream when we were first getting pregnant with her and everything. So I decided I needed to find something that I could do from home. And I got out of teaching, just kind of left out of it and figured I'd find something. Took the summer to kind of explore and did some nutrition coaching and yoga teaching. And all How many years ago was this? This was 2009, 2010. So by 2011, I realized that um, 
we were never going to get ahead doing what we were doing. So I was looking at some other options and I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad back in 2001 when I was pregnant with our oldest daughter and just didn't believe it at the time. I just felt like, you know, I'm, I'm too young and inexperienced and have no contacts, no money. So this isn't going to work, but I reread it and I caught the bug for it and started listening to your podcast and trying to absorb everything that I could online that was free and wow. got out of that, that I needed to join a local RIA. So that's what we ended up doing in 2011. Um, 2011. That, I started my podcast in January of 2011, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. about right. Yeah. Awesome. So you, do you remember I had that fast, fast cash survival kit? Do you remember that thing? Uh, you know, I've seen yeah. so much of your stuff over the years. <laughs> <laughs> like half the things I confuse these days, but yeah, that's awesome. Oh, that's so cool to hear. Yeah. All right. So, um, you started listening to the podcast, getting this free, a lot of free content that was out mm-hmm. there, YouTube and podcasts. Started going to your local real estate clubs. Mm-hmm. You told me a little bit, you started doing some lease options. You got some mm-hmm. of my lease option stuff and doing lease option deals. Yeah. As, as being teachers, we had no money. So yeah. we had to figure a creative way to be able to do real estate investing or get into real estate. So mm-hmm. lease options was something that definitely resonated with us. Yeah. That was the first thing I really wanted to do. I got out of all my studies that sandwich lease options were really what I wanted to be involved in. And Josh was still teaching at the time. So it was kind of my thing getting it started. Of course, he was very supportive with it. He'd go to meetings with me, but it was kind of, you know, I was trying to get it going. So we got in with a local coach and, you know, we started doing, did some subject to some owner finance that we wrapped some lease options, all of those that we still have today. So they've been great deals every time. So, so you still have those deals today. Do, yeah, we yeah. still have those. Deals. Nice. Yeah. So, and we really enjoyed them. I mean, I really like not having to take title to a property and yes. still have to control it and make money off of it. And if something goes wrong, I get to handle it. So it gives me that feeling of really being a creative problem solver, which, you know, that's what I enjoy the most about what we do. You know, as the market is shifting and maybe as we're coming out of a seller's market into a buyer's market, right? These properties that you still own, well, you still maybe don't own, you control them, right? So you're not on title on those properties? Some of them we are. Some, some of them we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a place for being on title sometimes. Sure, right? yeah. um, but you know, for me, when I coming out of the crash in 08 and 09, I said to myself, I don't want to own any more properties. Right. Because mm-hmm. that feeling of having that obligation and that mm-hmm. debt hanging over me just killed me. And, you know, it's just almost bankrupted me. So mm-hmm. explain that. How does that, what do you mean by like, you can, with a lease option or some other creative form like that, you can actually control a property without owning it. What Can you explain that? Sure. Well, I'll start with the sandwich lease option since that was my favorite strategy for exactly that reason. Um, I didn't feel that I necessarily had, well, first of all, the financial backing, like we had some money in savings, but it was just enough to get into coaching and, you know, start the path that we had to make money from it. So if anything had gone wrong in the transaction, I didn't feel like we had enough in reserve to be able to handle it. So I wanted to make sure anything that we got into we were safe and that it was very clear with anybody that we might be buying from in a creative way that if something went wrong, we're all still in this together. Like it's not all completely on us. Now, of course, we take responsibility if something goes wrong and we work that into our paperwork, but there's kind of limits there. So I'll give an example of one that we have still to this day. We did in 2013. The gentleman, he has a mortgage and he owed just enough that if he had brought anything to the table to try to fix it up and sell it on the open market, he would have been paying to sell it. So I said, you know, I think I could take over your payments on this to a subject too. And he had agreed to it, but I got a little cold feet at the last minute and decided to switch it into a lease option. That way I wouldn't be responsible for his debt if something went wrong. Yeah. But again, that was just my fear doing this yeah. for the first time, not knowing what might happen. So we got into that. He's been very happy with it. Through the course of the past few years, uh, we did have one lease option buyer that came in and she has stayed with us all this time. So it's worked out well. Uh, We've now converted it into a seller finance wrap. So it's a completely different transaction today. And I am fully responsible for the debt on it. Um, But they've been very happy. We kind of partnered with them over the years. So just every new step of the way, it became more creative. But up until... November of this past year, we were not on title at all for that. So in our paperwork, our contracts gave us the authority and the power to call the shots, make the decisions. So if we needed to get that buyer out and bring a new one in, we had the ability to do that, which was great. And the seller couldn't really tell us what to do because our paperwork established that we were the ones in control of the situation. So I love that. It's great. You know, I didn't have to take the responsibility for the house. If something really went wrong in the economy, for example, we could walk away. Of course, you know, 
our ethical side of us being in the transaction means that we would take more responsibility than that. But just knowing that we're all aware that that could be worst case scenario takes a lot of pressure off of us and gave us the feeling that we could do a lot more of these type of deals without having to feel like we're risking everything in the process. Explain that, answer the question when somebody says, you know, why would a seller let you do that? You know, why, why, if a seller just wants to sell it, why don't they just sell it? Mm -hmm. Why would they let somebody else take over their mortgage or do a lease option on their property? Can you answer that? Yeah. And I'll say this first because our team and a lot of other investors that I know try to throw lease option offers at everything, which I think they have a place in certain circumstances. But if somebody doesn't have a real need to sell, there's really no reason for them to do that. If they can just stick it on the market with an agent, get top dollar for it, get rid of it in a few months, then you know that's really what they need to do. But like in this previous example, the gentleman would have had to bring money to the closing table to close it. Could he have sold it as is? Sure. Would he have still had to pay to get it sold? Yes. So he was left with a property that didn't have any equity in it, or at least enough to actually walk away without having to bring money to the table. And he'd had tenants. He lives up in New York. So we're down here in Florida. He had a management company that wasn't really taking very good care of him. He was having tenant issues. They weren't taking care of the house. So it was just getting worse and worse for him. So it was an opportunity to stop the bleeding and have a professional step in and be able to manage the situation. So he's been very happy with it. And at the end of the day, he's actually making money with us, which was not originally intended, but you know, yeah. we feel good about it. He feels great about it. So it's a nice relationship down the road as well. That's cool. I've done that before where you can partner with sellers on your deals. Yeah. It makes it a lot easier to negotiate. We see that a lot. I mean, basically it's a lack of equity most of the time or they already rented out and feel a little bit too much responsibility and would not mind still having an income stream coming from it with somebody else being responsible for it. And we're more responsible than a management company is because we're in the transaction. So we have more of a vested interest in making sure that it goes to plan. You have some skin in the game. That's right. You know, since 2011, how many creative financing deals would you say you guys have done? Let's see, we did five off the bat in 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, our first deal in 2012, after we'd started coaching, we did some marketing. We got a deal that was supposed to be a cash deal and we rehabbed it. But the way that we got into it, we needed a discount because our inspection came back. Of course, first time doing the numbers, we figured out we were a little off and they didn't want to negotiate the price down. So we negotiated that we'd give them a chunk of cash down, and then after a few months, give them some payments, and by the end of the year, pay off the total balance. Okay. Um, that turned into two months, and they wanted to cash out, and they were willing to take a discount. So instead of our $45,000 cash price, we ended up paying just under $30,000 for it, and we put $30,000 into it made $30,000. So it was our first deal. Good for you. Cash deal and went really well, and it had some creative elements, and just yeah. the way that it all went worked out really nicely. And then 2013, that took pretty much all of our 2012, <laughs> figuring that out, you know, kind of stopped our marketing. That was a big lesson that we had yeah. to learn is don't stop your marketing ever. That can be a big problem okay. down the road for you if you do even just put it on pause for a bit, like right now, don't do that. But so 2013, we were back on track with all our marketing and really trying to, you know, grow that. And we just got deal after deal after deal. And I'll be the first to admit, I was scared to ever make the lowball cash offers because uh, I was just thinking for the sellers. Now I understand differently that, you know, if they need it, they need it. And you need to make the right offer and, and just do the deal. But most of the deals that we did were creative for that reason, because I was a little too scared to name the low cash number. So I'd go with my highest and best, which would be a terms offer. And the ones that would say yes, it, it ended up being a really nice thing. Yeah. Um, so I think five that first year we did creatively. Mm-hmm. And then 2014, I think we did two more. Yeah. And then 2015 is when we started getting into uh, trying to move our business in a wholesale direction so that we could actually have a real business versus just us always having to be the experts and everything and run every single deal. We wanted to be able to automate that, hire other people systemize it. So we've been working on that ever since. So we still do creative deals. Um, We just bought one. Well, actually, we closed on one yesterday that's very creative. It was another, it was going to be a cash deal. Um, And I won't go into all the ins and outs of it because it's way outside the scope of anything that we're talking about here. But basically, like that whole creative problem solving idea, you know, if there's a situation where they can't take the cash offer, maybe they owe too much, or they have some other need in this situation, then we still pull out those tools and do those deals. So we still will buy subject to, we'll still do lease options. I think more so in the past couple of years, we've we've taken title to them. Yeah, um, yeah. our last um, lease option that we did was just, just recently with uh, was friends from church. Mm-hmm. They had uh, tenants 
that weren't that were supposed to buy the property from them, but it never worked out, and they just needed some help to get. They didn't want to do like the management type of or be landlords or anything mm-hmm. like that. So they knew what we did, and we built up kind of a reputation. And they came to us to ask us if you know we could help them out, and we decided lease option would probably be the best mm-hmm. um, way that they could make as much as they they possibly could with the deal. So we kind of partnered with them on that one too. Yeah. And that one, I mean, basically we set it up to where pretty much every bit of anything that comes from it goes to them because we're just trying to help manage the situation. Sure, sure. So we made like a little smidgen of money on it, just enough to justify actually being in the deal and handling it all. But um, that was nice to know that, you know, we could offer like we have the background and experience to do this in a way that you probably are going to struggle doing it. So if we can help you in some way. You know, that was their reason for saying yes. And same sort of thing. There just wasn't enough equity in it with it needing some repairs to be able to either dump the money into it and get out of it or just to sell it off the bat. They would have had to bring money to the closing table. So. Yeah. yeah, that's the nice thing about lease options is sometimes the properties don't have to be beautiful. Mm-hmm. They can be fixer uppers. Oh, yeah. And, you know, a lot of the ones that we do sell, we don't really touch on lease options. We let the, the tenant buyer take care yeah. of yeah. So. All right. So when did you guys, when were you guys making enough money to actually quit your jobs, feel comfortable doing real estate just full time? I can tell you the first few years we were doing a number of deals and we were making money, but it was never enough to replace what I had been doing as a teacher. I have a master's degree and I had tenure and been there for a long time. So I wasn't making a huge amount of money being a Florida teacher, but it was definitely more than we were making consistently from real estate. So when we figured out with wholesaling that we could really try and have a process in the system and just really go after it in volume in 2015, that's when we started to really make consistent money. So into 2016, we made quite a bit more. And there was one month, I want to say it was like August or September, we made like $40,000 in a month, which was big for us because we were still kind of getting everything scaled up, trying to be more consistent. And at that point, I told Josh, listen, we just made more in a month than you made all last year. And he'd been there by that point for 10 years. So it was like, I don't wow. You know, this is ever going to be something that's going to be worthwhile to stick with just because of, hey, I've got benefits, you know, like we can afford the benefits doing this and work from home with our kids, homeschool at that time, I was pregnant with our second child. So we have a 19-year-old, and then he's three now, and then we also have a one-year-old. So we kind of restarted the childbearing process there, Um, and I was like, you know, I really would like it if you were here home working with me. So he left mid-year at Christmas time, so at the beginning of 2017, he was full-time with me. Very cool. I mean, that's an amazing story. I just love hearing those stories because, um, you I mean, you liked what you were doing. You liked your job. Yeah. yeah. But it still wasn't giving you the freedom mm-hmm. that real estate can give you doing it on your own. You kind of called your own shots. Mm-hmm. Frustrating thing about having a job for me was like, man, no matter how hard I work, I get paid the same. Yeah. If I'm lucky, I get a 3% raise every year. And I tell people sometimes too, you know, you think that having a job is the safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. Really, in this economy, especially going forward, that's maybe more risky to have a job it really is, than it yeah. is to have your own business and start yeah. doing deals on your own. As teachers, just real quick, I mean, for probably four or five years in a row before I left and then after I left, um, they just recently in the past year or two got their first raise and like, many, many, many years. So if you think about cost of living increases, we're actually going backwards every year oh, wow, really? just being good employees. And so at the end of the day, it just, you know, it wasn't worth it, even though we loved what we did. Well, it's funny with this quarantine, you've been hearing this in the, you know, in the news and in the social media circles, like people are realizing how hard teachers actually work. <laughs> and like, we need to give teachers raises. And I yeah. <laughs> Our stay-at-home moms, homeschooling parents, that's oh, what we do now we homeschool. So you're a big inspiration for that as well, traveling around and homeschooling your kids. Well, you we're going to talk about that. That's really yeah. good. But first, Billy Washington says, hey, guys, thanks for coming on. Brock, do you know Brock? He says, we Hi, do. Hi, hey, Brock. Are you in the office right now? I, we share an office. Oh, do you? Okay. <laughs> we gave him part of our office because it was too big for us. So Okay, all right. Yeah. I don't know who this is, but he says, I met Josh and Marlena at the Wholesaling Inc. Summit in 2018. Both are great individuals and really nice people. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Nice. Okay. You guys decided to go to Italy for some crazy reason with your kids, right? With three kids, yeah. yeah. With your three kids for how, for how long? We went for 26 days. The baby was uh, just five months old at the time. So it was definitely an epic adventure. It's something that I've been wanting to go. I went with a group of students we took to France and Barcelona, Madrid, and we didn't go to Italy at the time, but our daughter had been in Montessori school. So I went and met her teacher over in Italy where they have the Montessori Institute. 
And ever since then, I was like, I got to get Josh back here. Like, you can't have that experience of a beautiful place like that and all the food and the people and not share that with your significant other. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's been a decade and I was wanting to get back with him. And so we actually got to go thanks to real estate, thanks to the freedom that we had to be able to just up and go whenever it made sense for us. What year was this? Uh, this was last year. So it was last August, year. September last year. Yes. Yeah. And where'd you guys go? We went, well, we went all over Italy. So we started out in Rome and then went up to Venice to Bergamo, which is in the north. That's where the Montessori Institute is Mm -hmm. down Cinque Terre is on the uh, western coast. It's like a area that there's five towns that there's no like cars and stuff in the town because it's like little cliffside villages. Really beautiful. So we hiked. It's kind of like the Appalachian Trail there. With a five month old. Yeah. yeah, we hiked with, I, I had her in a sling and That's Josh so had a boy awesome. on his back and a little carrier. So our 19 year old daughter had the worst of it. <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't really want to hang with hiking, but it was a lot of fun. And then we went to Santorini in Greece, the island. And then we yeah, went yeah. to Athens, just outside of Athens, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. And our daughter's really into Greek and Roman mythology, mythology and that sort of thing. So she loved it. And then we went to Barcelona and then we flew, flew home from there. So it was really nice. Definitely. What a trip. Yeah. yeah we Airbnb beat at the hallway so that was a and literally i mean here's my phone right so let me put it this way so i do all most of my work on my phone so i'm literally closing deals and talking to sellers on the hike as we're going and you know i'm just like i love what i do (laughs) this is amazing so you actually did deals while in europe yeah You were kind of forced into that, didn't you? Like lose an acquisitions manager or something right before? Yeah. The day after we got there, we got the call that he decided that he was still going to be with us for a little bit longer, which didn't really quite pan out. He, you know, he kept making commitments to do things and his heart really wasn't in it is what happened. So the second that we were gone, he was like, I think I'm just going to take a step back. And it was fine. We kind of saw the writing on the wall and Mm -hmm. kind of expected it. But it was fine. You know, the fact that we can work from anywhere with a computer and a phone really do so much just from my phone. We were able to close three deals while we were there. So, all right. Yeah. So, w- when are you going back? <laughs> Not <laughs> you- soon <laughs> with everything that's going on with the virus and everything. Well, Not your 19 year old's out of school, right? Yeah, she's yeah. starting she's, college yeah. pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, she doesn't have to come. <laughs> but she's so helpful as babysitting so that's uh, how well, we were able to you know go and tour a little bit around without having to lug the kids everywhere. it's not easy but i took four kids the first time you went to europe for two months um my youngest was still in a stroller so about a year and a half maybe and then my oldest was probably 10 of the four maybe 11 but then the next time we went the youngest was probably five. Okay. So much fun. We were almost there for three months. Nice. And uh, you get a lot of weird looks when you have four <laughs> kids. <laughs> a lot of people congratulate Josh. They're like, you're a good man. Check you out. It was really sweet. <laughs> but it was so much fun. We, we loved Italy. Couldn't stand Rome. It was yeah. right in the middle of July, August, super yeah. hot, super crowded. Yeah. yeah. But then we went to the, the, the uh, oh, I forget, the wine country area. That's good. Uh-huh. Tuscany, yeah. Yes, Tuscany. Stayed there for a week. Man, it was just incredible. Yeah, it's beautiful there. Loved Barcelona too. Beautiful mm-hmm. there. So anyway, yeah, you guys got to go back. Like yeah. <laughs> your youngest isn't in school yet, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm saying, I tell this to people all the time, don't wait till you're 65, 70 years yeah. old before you start traveling around the world. Like do it now with, with technology. You can run literally almost any business in the world. You can do from your computer, from your cell phone, especially real estate deals. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that cool? Before we left, we actually listened to your podcast of when you're overseas in Europe. I think you might even wrote an ebook about it that we read. Yes. <laughs> it was definitely a catalyst that, you know, if that we could do it overseas mm-hmm. and to kind of test it out. And it was, it wasn't as bad as we thought. So that's awesome. I do, by the way, I, I keep on forgetting about this book. I, I have a book on Amazon called Making Extra Money Flipping Houses While on Vacation. I yeah, think. that was it. That's the one we, we read. Um, it was an interview with a friend of mine, Jason Medley. We turned it into a book. I think you can get it for free for zero dollars <laughs> on Amazon. But Making Extra Money Flipping Houses While on Vacation. You guys should check it out. Okay, cool. Back here. Lots happened in the last couple months, right? And you see in Florida, anytime there's any kind of correction, it's amplified mm-hmm. in Florida and California and Phoenix and Vegas, you know, those kinds of markets. So is it, what's going on right now in Orlando and what have you guys been doing? Are you kind of laying low? Or are you being more conservative? Or are you ramping up your marketing? What's going on there? 
Yeah, I mean, we've heard a lot of people are dialing back on their marketing, and we know that that is never a good idea. We've experienced that many times as we were getting up to this point in our in our real estate career mm-hmm. together. Every time we pause our marketing, it always hurts a few months down the line, and we're always yeah. kicking ourselves. So we've yeah. learned, just don't do that. You always have to have your marketing going out. And in the times that it gets tough, I hear the quote, you know, if there's blood in the streets, that's when you should buy, even if it's your own blood. And I think that's the same with marketing. You know, if something's going on in the economy, you know, that can be affecting so many people in a negative way. So to me, that means more motivation out there for people that might need to sell for various reasons. So we're ramping up our marketing. In fact, we just started new marketing channels on top of ramping up what we were already doing with direct mail. So yeah, we're going all right. Yeah, even if they're not motivated today, there's possibility they're going to be motivated mm-hmm. tomorrow. And so we're actually going through our old systems and our old database and checking with the people that were kind of warm or cold before. And we've gotten some people raise their hand and uh, a couple of people that we actually just went on a contract with Mm -hmm. that are ready to make that decision. It was like a catalyst for them to make a decision now instead of later. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. So you're following up with your old leads. Yes. Yeah. And I will say, I mean, we always follow up with old leads because fortune's in the follow up. But for people that say we talked to in December, early in January, before all this really came to a head that said, no, maybe talk to me six months Mm -hmm. or a year from now. We're calling them back immediately because you never know what might have changed in just the past month or two. So we're just making sure that we're really dialing in everything that we're doing in our business and trying to, you know, streamline our systems, make sure that our people are really on point and that we're talking to as many more people as we can right now, especially. So what kind of marketing are you guys doing right now? Mostly direct mail. That's always been kind of our bread and butter. We learned from Tom Kroll about marketing systems and that sort of thing. So we've always used that. But we have had some PPC. We've got some Facebook ads. Uh, we got cold calling going on and some cold texting as well. We don't do RBMs because they're illegal here in Florida. So that's really the only thing we're not doing right now. And how's your direct mail going? Are you seeing an increase in response rates? Actually, yeah. I mean, it's been decreasing over recent years. We used to get a 3% response rate. Now it hovers around 1%. Depending on you know which county we're in locally, it might be a little bit lower. Like if we're in Orange County proper where, where Orlando is, it's quite a bit lower. But you know we try and stay in the outlying counties. And we're about 1% over the past year and a half. But now it's actually creeping up a little bit, I think, just because so many more people are pulling out right now. Yeah. And what percentage of your deals come from direct mail, approximately? I would say since some of those other things that we're doing are relatively new over just the past few months, I would say probably 90, 95%. So I I know that those other methods are going to start generating more deals because we're following up with those people and it's just, you know, getting to the closing table. But yeah, mostly direct mail. Yeah. And direct mail is usually we can get a deal closed quicker than cold calling. Cold calling mm-hmm. deals, you got to warm them up, get them yeah. hot. They mm-hmm. take, you know, maybe up to six months to get them ready to make that decision. So, direct mail, it's it's um, catch twenty two. I mean, it's like it's kind of expensive to get started. It takes a little while to build the momentum, right? Yeah. With direct mail. But what would you say to somebody who's new and is like, man, I don't know if I want to spend a thousand bucks on direct mail, like. What what do you tell somebody like that? Well, and I can only really speak for our experience. So I'm sure that other people that do those other methods would maybe feel differently than me. But to me, direct mail is so consistent and predictable that I will find the money. If I have to borrow it from somebody to do it, I will continue to do direct mail. That is, you know, I just, I know the numbers. I know how it works over time. You know, the industry standards are easy to find out from other people that are doing it. You just heard me express some of them. So if you know what to expect with it, it's really easy to kind of throw some money at it and then just take the take the leads in as they come and process them. So I really like that. So I would, my advice is find the money somehow. If you got to get a partner, if you got to borrow, if you got to get a loan from your parents, you know, I, if you are interested in doing direct mail marketing, just make it happen because it's worth it. Yeah. Our biggest return on on money has been in marketing. Has it been from our cash flow deals? Is what we put into marketing, we're going to get way more than money back than what we get yeah. on Mm-hmm. So. so do you mind sharing a little bit? What do you like to send and who do you mail it to? Yeah, sure. Right now we're kind of focusing on like absentee owners and vacants. I mean, we always do, but some of our other ones like probates and evictions right now, because the courts are kind of stopped up, we're not really targeting them too much right now. So we're always trying to look at what might be going on in the economy. Usually we target just any of the motivated lists that we can and do as many as we can. But we really like the bigger lists. So any of the big equity lists that you can grab, you know, tens of thousands on list source. We like even, that. Even owner occupants with equity, do you mail that? Yeah, we've had in the past couple of years, probably the same amount of deals came from owner occupant as they did from absentee. Wow. 
So, but right now it just seems like, you know, probably the absentee owners with people not paying their rent and that sort of thing or having an extra property and, you know, people being furloughed and all that kind of stuff. We just felt like that might be a good list to target. We're getting a lot of responses from it. I do know there's a lot of competition in our area with that list because those are the sellers that are like, yeah, I've got 15 of these postcards. <laughs> and then it just becomes a follow-up and relationship building game. So that's where we really try and specialize. Yeah. So that would be my best advice to everybody. Yeah, within the last couple of months we've seen, because in Florida we have an older population. So we've Hi. seen a lot of people that are home occupied that are deciding to move back closer to their family mm-hmm. and to their kids really? and not be alone in Florida anymore. So we've gotten a couple deals that that's, I mean, last three deals have been that that's been the motivators. They're deciding to move closer back to family. Mm-hmm. Nice. What have you found with Airbnbs? You know, a lot of hungry Airbnb owners out there right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, we can speak to that because we just converted. Uh, we have a sixplex that has a main house in the front and then a couple of five studios in the back. And so we converted the main house when we had our most recent tenant leave into an Airbnb, just got it rolling, and then Airbnb shut down everything and allowed cancellations. And so we were lucky we actually had somebody that had a fire at their house and the insurance company set them up with us for two months at our Airbnb rates. So that worked out well for us, but we would really be hurting right now if that weren't the case because we have financing on it. So I do think that, you know, as far as, again, absentee owners, you can't always tell if somebody's Airbnb, but I guess you could go and look online and reach out to people that way and see if anybody's interested in selling. I hadn't really considered doing that. That's a good idea. Yeah, it'll be real real interesting to see over the next few months what's going to happen with all those Airbnb properties. Yeah. Are you guys Focusing just in Orlando, you mentioned the pre- surrounding counties. Are you also targeting some of the smaller towns mm-hmm. around Central uh, Florida? We're in New Smyrna, which is over on the coast, just south of Daytona Beach. So we're in Volusia County. So we do Volusia County. We do Brevard is the next county south of us. We skip over Tom Corals County and go to the next one down, which is Palm Beach County. We also do Seminole, which is closer to Orange, where Orlando is. We do Orange County. Um, and we do a little bit over in Hillsborough County, which is where Tampa is. So we're all over the place, but our our primary places that we're operating are Volusia and Brevard counties. And together, they make up about the population of Orange County. So we're really looking for population total to make sure that, you know, we have enough territory to make sure we're going to have enough deals coming in with the population that's there. But we know a lot of people really like Orange County. So we target there for our buyers because they want to buy there. But we get much lower marketing response there. So it's more expensive. Sure. With your Facebook ads, are you targeting those same kinds of counties? Are you going statewide? Uh, so same counties for right now. We're kind of testing out some things to see how well it's going to perform and then figure start expanding from there. Yeah, I'd encourage you to look at the the whole state. There's a lot okay. of opportunities in small towns all yeah. over the United States, but in small towns, you can still get really smoking hot deals and there's still buyers that will buy those properties in small towns. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. What are you guys finding right now with in terms of buyers? Um, are buyers starting to pull back? What have they told you? Are you still selling deals in the last mm-hmm. you know, one or two months? Yeah, we are. It's funny because everybody hit a really hard pause there. And so a lot of our deals looked like they might go sideways at the moment. And we still thought they were good deals. So I was lining up the financing to just close on them. And then at the last minute, when the buyers realized we were going to close on them, they're like, wait, 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 (laughs) we'll buy it. So we saw a lot of that. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do definitely have a number of people have decided to unsubscribe from our list, but they were people that weren't doing business with us anyway. So, I mean, I I guess that's its own sort of sign. But the people that are serious, you know, kind of took a breath there for a minute and kind of seemed like they were just looking to see what was going to happen. But they're still in this business. So they've got to keep buying or else their funds are going to dry up, too. Because, you know, if you're in this full time, you're in it. Yeah. yeah, I'd be scared if we only were relying on like a handful of buyers, mm-hmm. but we've built that database of buyers, you know, hundreds of, of buyers. Yeah. Have you find, are you offering less than you would have before a month or two ago when you're talking to a seller? Are you offering less because you know your buyers are going to be offering less as well? Yeah. And we're kind of making assumptions because the buyers that are still buying, they haven't really necessarily changed what they're looking at. And we have heard from a lot of realtors here that the retail prices are staying steady and people are still buying. It's still very active. Everything is kind of normal right now. doesn't mean that it'll stay that way. But the buyers that we've been hearing that they're coming so far 
far down on their calculations are kind of like the people that have been in the business for, you know, 20, 30 years that are kind of like our local shark type of people. Yeah. And so you kind of take that with a grain of salt. Like, of course, they're going to tell everybody that when they're out there educating. So it's kind of hard to determine exactly where people are until they're buying from you. But we have adjusted our, our numbers down. And our team knows that, you know, if we're super close, we'll examine a little bit more closely and see if it's something that we want to come a little higher on. But for the most part, we've come down, I think, 10, 10% on every deal. In certain circumstances, we come down a little bit more, like in certain zip codes and that sort of thing. Could you share with us, how do you train your team to calculate an offer? Um, let's say it's a it's a normal $150,000 bread and butter house that needs 30 grand in work, right? So what? how are you telling them to make an offer on that? Well, we have our podio too, actually. Okay. Um, and I got my podio set up from you. So thank you very you much, Yo, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've adapted it over the years and built yeah. a lot of automations. But yeah, so, you know, we find after repair value and then we look for an as-is value of anything that we see that has sold recently that is in similar condition that looks like an investor bought it. So we try and have a couple different data points and then we look at it from there. So we use a Mayo calculation. We're using a 70% of ARV minus repairs, minus our fee right now. That's our standard calculation. But if we see that a property has sold and it looks like to an investor for higher than that number, then we'll use that data point and then just subtract off a fee from that. And we might start at that point um, because we have you know evidence that it could sell for that. Yeah, that's interesting. Sometimes the Mayo formula doesn't work. Mm -hmm. As you can see, your Mayo formula may say it may be way, way ridiculous low, mm -hmm. but you're seeing other investors are already buying properties for 20, 30 grand more. That's right. So that's kind of where you can start from, right? Yeah. Do you also then look at what your competition is going for? Do you look at the active listings to see, all right, if I'm trying to sell this for 130, what are some of the other properties currently? Listed? Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And of course, you never really know until they close. But, you know, what you do kind of, we look around and just make sure that whatever we're going to put it out for, it's going to be lower than other stuff that's on the market for sale. Nice. So today, though, you're mainly offering cash. But mm -hmm. if, so when do you bring in a creative financing, like a lease option? Sure. We're always trying to, on the front end, gather any information about a mortgage or anything else that's owed. And sometimes you can tell, you know, in the situation before you even make the offer, this person is motivated, but they're not going to be able to accept our low offer. So we will prepare then a terms offer for them or multiple different options. We do try and find out from them first, though, how do they feel about that? Because some of them are just adamantly opposed to it. And if you try and talk to them about it, they're going to think it's a scam. So we try and ask good questions on the front end to see if that's even something that they would be kind of open to. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, if somebody's got a real problem they really need to sell and they can't really, for whatever reason, sell in the traditional retail market, then they're going to accept whatever is going to solve the problem. So that's what we find. If there's a big enough problem there, yeah. they're going to accept some sort of offer from us one way or another, as long as they trust us to do what we say we're going to do yeah. and to solve the problem. Yeah, we try to diagnose from the front end what is going to help them the best. And so we don't try to make three offers at once because that just confuses the seller. Yeah most of the time and they think it's a scam because they're like, what do you mean that you're giving me three offers? Mm -hmm. So we found out that if if a low offer is going to help them move to the next stage of life, that's what they need. If they can't get that low offer and there's other things that we can help them with, we offer them, we talk to them about possibilities and see if it might it might be a good fit for them and then go from there. That's but really good. Try to make it really simple and direct. Are you guys doing all your deals virtually? Were you doing them before? Doing yeah, virtual or are you making appointments? All of our early deals. I mean, we did that first one that, you know, as people here, they found us on a Craigslist site. We talked over the phone. We did everything virtually except for actually going to the house, obviously. Um, but then the creative deals that we did the next year in 2013, I was marketing to out-of-state owners. So right off the bat, everything that we were doing was virtual. And yeah. before anybody was telling me, oh, yeah, I use mobile notaries, I figured out about mobile notaries and was sending them out to people's houses to sign off <laughs> on stuff. So once wow. I found out that this is like actually a growing trend of doing virtual wholesaling, I was like, cool, I'm on the front end of that. Like, that's what we're already doing. So, I, you know, I think it's so easy to use tech Which, stuff. which is really important to bring up, too. Like, use... Do you close with one title company or do you have the seller go to a title company and you have your own title company? No, we just use one and we always use our own. So you make them, like the, the sellers, do they have to come into that office or can they no. sign? 
So yep. that's people, this also makes it easier to do double closings, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you, you, they don't have to come into the office and sometimes you can even use two different title companies if you had yeah. to, right? Yeah. The one that we just closed yesterday is a, a daughter and a father. So the daughter's up North, the father's down here. They're trying to get him to go up there, but they both had to sign off. And so two different mobile notaries went to their homes and signed in the comfort of their own homes hopefully wearing a mask, um, and then left and all the paperwork's done. I signed off on my portion of it with a local notary here and sent it in overnight mail and we all closed separately. And that's how we do every transaction. It's very seldom that anybody wants to go into the title company's office. Yeah. So do you mostly assign or double close your deals? Mostly assign just because it costs so much more money to double close and we split the HUD. So the seller doesn't see what we're making. They only see their side of the transaction. So the buyer knows what we're making, but we don't disclose what we're making until they get the HUD and they're already locked in. So they really can't say anything about it. And if they try to lowball us in future deals, they lose the deals to other people that are willing to make fair offers. So it really hasn't affected us much. To a new investor who's like, man, how did you find the title company to do that, allow you to do that? What do you tell them? Well, we lucked out because we have our local RIA that we used to be leaders in. And the gentleman we use for our title company is also our real estate attorney. And he's the attorney for the RIA. So he came highly recommended through the RIA. Um, There are other title companies through the RIA that we've used with great results. I mean, we love everybody we work with. We just really like using him because he's an attorney in-house with the title. He also has a trust company and we do a lot of our deals and trusts. So, you know, it's kind of nice having a one-stop shop, but I would say definitely through your local RIA is a good place to network with other wholesalers and find out who they're using and who they like. Very good. Got a couple more questions. This has been really good. I'm sure, I hope this is helpful to a lot of you guys. <laughs> lenders, have you found that private lenders, hard money lenders, are they starting to back out of the market? Um, what what are you what are you feeling there? I don't know if they're they're backing out. Some of their um, their terms are getting higher though, <laughs> and then there's other people that are seeing opportunity. They that are come to us and say, hey, we have this money. Let's go ahead and if you have any deals, let me know first. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've noticed mostly with the loan brokers that we know all of their terms just got super conservative as far as how they're going to vet people and you know what the rates are going to be. But the people that are lending directly, I almost kind of feel like if I don't get my money out there locked into something right now, who knows what's going to happen next. So it, it's almost like, I don't want to see like fear driving it because they're not making irrational decisions with their money, but they're definitely like, hey, you guys got any deals to put this money into? And we're kind of right now really trying to consolidate our, our private lending funding sources so that we can close on more deals because we feel like, you know, if you close on it, you have a lot more wherewithal to decide what's going to happen next. And you're not waiting to see what's going to happen with the market and your buyers. So we're just trying to focus on getting more deals closed with private money right now. Hmm. What percent of your deals that you come across would do you actually want to close on or just assign? It's getting to be, I'd say in the past six months, a higher percentage just because we've seen a lot of buyers really and we're very much out there and honest about what we make off the transactions and we're educators out there and so people hear us and again I think people are lowballing us just because they know and it's like yeah. a psychological thing but we're just you know if we don't get an offer that we like we're closing on it so that's what we've been doing lately yeah. and the the buyer pool when you put it onto the MLS after we buy it is so much greater than mm-hmm. the local uh, RIA buyers are so yeah so now we look at every deal, we see what offer is kind of getting the offers from our buyers as part of our due diligence process as buyers ourselves. And let me just go back real quick. So when we get into a deal, we're not just, hey, hopefully we'll get a buyer for this and see if it'll close. We're okay. We are the buyer. We're getting an appraisal. We're getting an inspection. We're doing our due diligence. We're processing title immediately when we get into it. So 10 days in, we've got any buyer offers that we're going to get. We have our whole due diligence package. We examine it and that's part of our due diligence. So if we're not getting offers that we like, but we know the numbers are there, that makes the decision to close on it. So it's always a case-by-case basis, but we're going to close on anything that we're not getting a high enough offer that we feel like it's justified to just let it go. That's good. Really good. Talk about REI Live. What is that? What are you guys doing with it? Sure. Well, I'll uh, shout out Brian Tripp. He started REI Live in Birmingham and he's awesome. And uh, there are a few of us, there's Atlanta and Columbia, South Uh Carolina in Sarasota and then us in Orlando. So just a few different collectives of people that have gotten together to do this. And we're really just trying to provide local education for real estate investors. You know, we have a lot of people that have come to us over the years. First, when we were leading in the RIA, we led our county chapter of that for a number of years. And then just in general, you know, Tom Carl's had us on this podcast a few times. So we have a lot of people reach out to us asking us for coaching. And we've not had any sort of coaching platform or setup or anything, but we do want to help and give back. We're teachers at heart. So this was our 
answer to that to start something of our own with our former Rhea. They're wonderful. We love them. We've gotten so much of our training from them and from, you know, like their family to us at this point, but we were so limited in what we could choose to do on our own without running it through them. So we were very limited. So now we get the freedom to do whatever we want. And, yeah. Uh, so we're super excited to be doing it. Kind of got we started in January and then it then COVID hit. So like some of our plans went a little sideways, but we'll be building it through the rest of this yeah. year. So it started sure. as like a, a live event that we were gonna do quarterly and have a speaker there and have people come that we could collaborate and do deals with. Just not education, but actually do deals locally with people mm-hmm. that can you know we can be in front of and help out. Yeah, good. So have you guys been just meeting virtually? Have you had virtual meetups, stuff like that? Yeah, we did one last night. We were going to do a quarterly in face, like Josh was saying, but then that was supposed to happen this past week and we obviously couldn't. So we switched it to virtual. And I think we're just, instead of doing a quarterly face-to-face, we're just going to focus on virtual now and then see what happens with the with the community. Why Why quarterly, not monthly? Well, we were doing monthly before and it was great, but we really wanted to try and bring in the best speakers from around the country if we're going to do a meetup instead of just trying to always find somebody that'll come and speak. So, and plus we've got three kids and we've got an active business and we've got some other initiatives that we're trying to do. So we didn't want to overburden ourselves. So setting the big meetings is once a quarter and then knowing that we could always fill in the, you know, interceding months with other things, you know, is kind of just, it fit with what we wanted to do. Okay. We're trying to make it a, a lifestyle business, kind of what we've learned <laughs> yeah. from what we, we learned from you. So, um, so where can people go to get information about REI Live Orlando and you guys? Yeah, check us out on Facebook. So, Marlena, Josh Dates. Um, you see our faces, so you'll see us on there and know it's us. Um, we're great on Facebook Messenger if you want to reach out for anything. Or REI Live Orlando on Facebook. We have a page. You can check us out there. If you want to email us, info at reiliveorlando.com. Nice. Info at reiliveorlando.com. Or go to Facebook and just do a search for REI Live Orlando. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or look for Marlena and Josh Dates mm-hmm. on Facebook. Nice. Cool. Yep. We got a question from somebody. Can you answer it real quick? Sure. Sure. Split the HUD. Can you explain that? What is that? Sure. Um, so uh, HUD's, you know, it's a standardized form and it shows both sides of the transaction, but it doesn't have to be that way. If your title company is willing to work with you on splitting it, then the buyer will see their transaction on one form and the seller will see their transaction on another form. And then the seller doesn't have to see what you're making. They just know that what you promise them is what they're getting. And, you know, we pay all the closing costs, so they won't see any closing costs on there. And they'll see their net amount that they're getting and they approve it. And they're like, okay, that's what we agreed to. And so the buyer gets all the expenses on their side. They see what we're making. It's all very clear on that side. So it's not really concealing anything. It's just splitting the transaction so that, you know, each side sees their own. Yeah. Works well to avoid, you know, if you're concerned about the seller knowing what you're going to make, that helps. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, what, what's your prediction for the next six to 12 months in Florida specifically? Where do you guys see think the market is going? Well, I just read something today and I try not to watch the news or get fearful about stuff, but I read that uh, it could be another 12 to 24 months with this pandemic until there's enough herd immunity. So social distancing looks like it's probably going to continue for a while, even if, you know, it's less, you know, limiting than it has been recently. But I think virtual is really going to be where it's at. More and more people are going to be moving in that direction, whether in their everyday jobs or in something like real estate. So I think we all need to take this time to really consolidate our understanding of that kind of stuff, brush up on our skills, get used to the virtual environment, because it may be here to stay indefinitely. Yeah. Right now is a really good time to pick up some really good talent, Mm but on your team, people that have been left off, they're looking for an opportunity. So reaching out to people that, you know, want an opportunity is a great time for right now. Absolutely. It's a great time to hire good talent. I've seen a lot of new help wanted signs out there. Once in a while, I'll get out of my house and go driving somewhere. You know, uh, my wife and I, a week or two ago, we were like, we just got to get out. And we went and to, there, there was one Starbucks in the entire area here that's still open. And we waited in line for 30 minutes in the drive-thru, maybe 40 oh, wow. minutes. And we didn't care. Yeah. Like, this is so nice. The kids are at home. There were tulips in the parking lot. We could, oh, see, nice. we could see the flowers. It was just awesome. Oh, that's great. And it was nice to see other people. I was so excited. I was like waving to people as I was driving by. And they're, <laughs> they're looking at me like I was weird. Yeah. So yeah, who knows what's going to happen with the housing market, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm definitely 
don't think that prices are going to go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just don't see that. It, you know, um, what does it mean? Is it going to be flat for a little while? Or is it gonna... The good thing about real estate guys, and I want everybody to understand this is it's not like the stock market where it drops on a dime, yeah. like overnight it's down 10%. Real estate doesn't move like that. It's much slower. And so the great thing about real estate is if it starts going down, you're going to see the warning signs mm-hmm. months in advance, right? And mm-hmm. so when you see things start falling, you're going to have the time to get out of your deals that you have to get out of. And I'd encourage anybody now that's sitting on a deal where you know, you're know you looking at, it's a big rehab or something like that. Get that done as quick as possible. Get it on the market as quick as possible. Make sure that it's the nicest house for the cheapest price possible so you can sell it fast. There are still buyers out there and don't get discouraged, right? Because I remember back in 2009, 10, 11, and 12, nobody... I mean, you would think that nobody was wholesaling deals, that nobody was buying deals. But even back then, as the market was really going down, there were people selling houses. There were wholesalers doing deals. You just got to be smart. And and the great thing about real estate, again, because it moves slow, it gives you time to understand what are the buyers wanting? Where are they going? Where are the buyers? What are they looking for? And it gives you time to adjust and figure out how to serve those buyers, right? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I'll add another thing I really love about real estate and also wholesaling is it works in any market because people always need housing of one sort or another. You're always going to have rehabbers that that's their business contractors. Housing is not going to stop, you know, like that's always going to continue. And even in a down market, if you do something like wholesaling, that's a quick turn or a lease option, that sort of thing. It acts like options in the stock market. So if you've got to get in at a certain price and then get out so that you don't lose money, you have those options to do that. If you know what you're doing, it's a really safe and quick turn opportunity that you can take advantage of in any market. And it's important to get local coaches that can help you guys. (laughs) Go go check out Marlene and Josh Dates, Orlando, REI Live, and uh, find them on Facebook. And appreciate you guys. Thank you very much for being on the podcast, finally. Yeah, it's a pleasure. All right, we'll see you guys later. Take care. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a great day. 